This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hello and welcome to this week's jam-packed Money and Markets podcast. I'm Danny Hewson and there is plenty to talk about as earnings season kicks off once again. And of course, those horrendous scenes from the Middle East, which have pushed some investors towards those perceived safe havens. To chat through all of that and more, I'm joined by Tom Sieber from Shares Magazine. Hi, Tom. Hey, Danny. Um, yep. Yeah, um not only has there been a lot going on, but there's a lot riding on the next few weeks too. So I'll be talking through what you should be looking out for. Plus, as the Federal Reserve um, starts to sound more and more dovish, markets have actually enjoyed a pretty strong couple of days. It's not all been good news. So we'll take a look at the disappointing numbers from UK recruitment company Page Group and luxury goods firm LVMH. Plus, we'll be looking at gas prices, a Bank of England warning about a trend to longer mortgage term. And Dan Coatsworth talks to James Henderson from Law Debenture about what it would take for UK stocks to bounce back and his thoughts on ITV and Rolls-Royce. Plenty to discuss, so we'll, we'll dive right in. And I guess we have to start really with the volatility in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Monday, I don't think there'll be any surprise that we saw oil prices jump and jump quite considerably. You know, we'd had a week where the oil price had fallen. And uh, I think there was sort of an expectation that because what's going on with interest rates expected to stay higher for longer would impact demand. But of course, then we had these awful attacks in the Middle East and a lot of concern that those geopolitical tensions might spill over in what is an oil-rich region. So when oil markets opened on Monday, we had um, the benchmark Brent crude jumping up considerably. And although prices have stabilised, they're now just under $87 a barrel. Clearly, this is something that a lot of people are going to be keeping a really close eye on. We also had gas prices up as well, just at yeah. a time when we've got you know Europe coming into that really cold point. And although we keep hearing that there's more gas stored than there was this time last year, um, there is clearly still a concern about that. But uh, I don't think anyone will be surprised either that gold prices um, jumped up quite considerably. So we saw them spike about 9% in Monday's session, Um, up again a little bit today, just under 1%. But clearly a lot of investors seeking out those hard assets amid concerns of economic volatility. We also saw a fall in US treasuries uh, because of what's going on in Gaza, but also other things more to play out, which we will get into a little bit later. But I think it was quite interesting because we saw a lot of that happen on Monday and then, of course, into Tuesday because bond markets were closed in the US on Monday. But then there was something of a shift, Tom. Yeah, so there's been a lot of moving parts, I guess. Um, and I guess, you know, just just touching on on the kind of oil price um, part of it. I mean, it, for now, it's been reasonably contained. I think there probably is an element of, of waiting to see if there's any escalation um, beyond what we've already seen. And I mean, you know, I guess that's escalation in terms of, of it spreading beyond 
um, Israel and Gaza. Um, and I did see one analyst comment that if, if anything happened to the Straits of Hormuz, which is this key sort of strategic um, waterway that, that a lot of the, the world's oil travels through, then you could sort of pick a number for crude really um, at that point. So so I don't think we're necessarily done with that. But yeah, you're right. On In terms of bond yields, I mean, we've had this sort of string of Fed officials come out and say there's no need for further rate hikes. Um, and that kind of followed in the wake of um, last week when we saw a big surge in bond yields, actually. And um, the US Treasury yield um, was at levels, or, or the 10-year Treasury yield, rather, was at levels last seen in 2007. Um, so bond investors, I guess, were reacting there to both the fact that kind of public finances um, in the US and, and elsewhere are looking pretty strained, and also that message of rates being higher for longer. And, you know, in, in all of this sort of slightly more kind of market positive um, commentary that we've had from the Fed, there's nothing to sort of suggest that they're looking at rate cuts anytime soon. It, it is more just that they're perhaps saying that, well, you know, we're done with rate hikes for now. So, um, you know, there's still there's still a lot of kind of um, a lot of unknowns. And there's, you know, there's key data on inflation coming out um, almost as we speak. So. And there, there are a lot of kind of a lot of things moving around and it's it's hard to sort of keep track sometimes. Yeah, you're right. When I mean, we get producer pl- price inflation data out today, uh, we've got yeah. consumer price inflation data out of the US tomorrow. And there's going to be an awful lot of attention placed on that. Um, just on oil, I think it is worth mentioning as well, because clearly a lot of these big oil companies have made huge profits over the last few months, last year or so. Um, And ExxonMobil has set aside billions um, for merger and acquisitions. Um, It scooped up a company called Denbury Resources for around $5 billion in an all-stock deal in July. Um, Reports today have been confirmed that uh, it's agreed to acquire Pioneer Natural Resources um, in a transaction valued at nearly sixty billion. I mean, this—it's been really interesting to watch the market deal with what has been a really changing conversation about oil over the last couple of years. We were yeah. all focused on that transition, weren't we, to clean green just... energy and not um, doing any more exploration. But then, of course, we had these price shocks, which made a lot of governments, a lot of companies look again at their plans, particularly because there's so much money at play. Yeah, money at play. And, and I guess the sort of emphasis maybe shifting a little bit from from energy transition to energy security. And I guess what's interesting about, you know, we, we, you were talking about ExxonMobil there. A lot of the US oil companies have been far less kind of... Um, willing or you know um, vocal about pushing a net zero agenda in the same way that the likes of BP and Shell have and they've been rewarded for by the market for that you know they've they've performed much more strongly um, you know because I guess they're seen perhaps as more unfiltered beneficiaries of of higher energy prices so and you know it's a big the, the deal Exxon's announced today it's, it's a huge deal and it really kind of cements their position as as a sort of dominant player in the Permian Basin which is is the main kind of oil oil and gas producing um, part of of the US, sort of mainly in Texas. So, it, you know, it, yeah, it, it it is quite telling, and it's interesting to see that contrast with with what's happening in the UK. And and I guess you have seen BP and Shell move 
a little bit more in the direction of being you know more focused on fossil fuels again rather than than purely on kind of the transition away from them so there's been a lot of volatility and with that backdrop with all these moving parts we're now heading into earnings season proper um what are we expecting yeah so the u.s third quarter earnings season kicks off pretty much this week i mean there have been some some early outliers but generally you know the the big volume of, of announcements starts this week and it kicks off with the banks. Um, the expectation with the banks is very much one of kind of Main Street is looking A-OK, but Wall Street, n- not so much. Or to put it another way, consumer lenders will benefit from higher interest rates. Um, but the investment banking operations at, at some of the big US banks will be hit by what has been a pretty subdued market for things like IPOs and sort of companies, although you know, we talked about that Exxon deal is a bit of an exception, but there haven't been the same volume of deals that we've perhaps seen um, historically. So, so that's kind of perhaps, or certainly what the market is expecting um, going into those numbers. So it'll be interesting to see if if what we we see in the earnings kind of confirms that. Um, next week we've got some big hitters. So we've got Tesla reporting. Um, it announced this week that deliveries are going to be a bit short of targets. It's also been cutting prices again. So there's implications there for margins. But the what's interesting with Tesla is it's it's clearly making such a big play to kind of increase its competitiveness against both sort of rivals that are emerging in China, but also, you know, traditional car makers who are moving into the EV space. Um, and Netflix is, is reporting next week um, as well. Um, they... They've had quite a strong run this year, really. They've kind of managed to hold on to subscribers despite um, clamping down on on kind of sharing your account with friends, family. Um, so be interesting to see if that trend's continued. They've also talked about putting up prices for their ads-supported um, um, offerings. And I think that may have something to do with the recent writer strike that we've seen and perhaps um, talent, you know, um, agreeing a deal that, that allowed them to get a, a slightly bigger slice of the pie. So the, there's there's sort of two fairly significant announcements. And more generally, it'd be interesting to see if... So US corporate earnings have obviously been un, under pressure um, over the last few quarters because of inflation, because demand has softened, whether or not they can kind of return to to some kind of growth. Um, and maybe just a final thought. I mean, it's it's been you know, the big hot talking point all year. But I think AI could well be um, a significant theme again, almost certain, certainly will be. And you know, the week after next, so the week starting the 24th of October, we've got Microsoft and Alphabet reporting. So I think that that will be very kind of front of mind for investors as well. It's interesting you talk about the theme there of AI because another theme that I've been asked a lot about over the last uh, week or so is weight loss drugs and the potential impact that that could have, not just on pharma companies, but on other companies. And Pepsi was cited as, as one of those potentially that could be impacted. And Pepsi has done it again. I mean, it's had an absolutely incredible run. It has demonstrated, really delivered a masterclass in pricing power. I mean, it's raised prices again, 11% in the July to September period. It's increased its profits again. 
And although sales volumes are down 2.5%, that, that's a manageable area of margin, isn't it, for it to deal with? And Yeah, it's been hugely impressive. And I think there's sort of two things at play. I suppose it speaks to the strength of its brand. So, I mean, although it's called PepsiCo, uh, you know, it's it's got quite a lot of snack brands as well as as the sort of soft drink, the, the kind of... Um, Frito-Lay. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Frito-Lay and... And, and various others so it's got it's quite, it's got quite a broad portfolio <laughs> um but i think it, it's it's because perhaps it sort of fits in that affordable treat category where you know people aren't going to think twice necessarily about buying a can of pepsi buying a packet of frito lay even if they put prices up you know a few pence then I'd, I'd if people have a, a certain amount of loyalty to those brands and it isn't such a big outlay that they're going to sort of even in the current sort of difficult um, economic circumstances, they're not necessarily going to think twice about that. So that, you know, that trend has definitely been at play for both PepsiCo, but companies like Coca-Cola and I guess, you know, nearer to home. And we had some quite strong results from AJ Barr, the, the company that makes Iron Brew as well recently. So there's, there's definitely that trend is at play. Um, and I mean, one final point on the US earnings, I guess, is that as always, a lot of the focus will be actually on the fourth quarter and what they're saying about what things will look like in the fourth quarter and particularly for those kind of consumer discretionary names it's a really important quarter obviously because it encompasses the lead up to christmas um so you know it's often the the real kind of um the time when when these companies make a lot of their money so yeah so no there's there's, i think we'll have plenty you know there'll be plenty to talk about and there'll be plenty sort of um, of influence on the markets from from this latest round of u.s earnings you were just talking about affordable treats. Well, an, another part of the market which seems to have been really protected by cost of living pressures has been luxury goods makers. But yeah. we've just seen um, today, as we're recording this Wednesday lunchdown, a, a real slump in shares of the likes of LVMH, uh, Hermes, Richemont, Burberry, all down after um, LVMH, which has labels like Louis Vuitton, Dior, Tiffany, Moe, it's delivered um, slower third quarter sales growth than I think a lot of people had been expecting, which is now leading a lot of people to wonder whether or not that boom is coming to an end. Now, you've got to think that these people that are able to buy these luxury goods have been broadly cushioned from cost of living pressures. They're not that concerned. If they can afford, you know, to buy a really, really, really expensive watch or a really expensive frock, then they're not feeling that cost of living pressure at the supermarket in the same way that most of us are. But we do now have a situation where clearly China has proved to be well, very disappointing in terms it's of now, its it? recovery. Yeah. yeah, it really has. And, and I think there had been the expectation, certainly at the beginning of the year, that it would come storming out of the gates, that the Chinese yeah. consumer, when let loose, would go off and buy all of these luxury goods and really yeah. sort of ramp up profits and revenues. But now there's a big question mark. Yeah, 100%. And uh, one of the things that's sort of talking to and fund managers in the emerging market space that they sort of say about China is that, that what you're talking about there, I suppose, was there was a hope that they would kind of um, emulate the revenge spending we saw in the West coming out of 
the pandemic. And because there wasn't the same level of support for Chinese households during the pandemic as there was in the West, the government support, they're not necessarily feeling quite as, you know, um, free and easy with their money as perhaps people were, you know, in this part of the world coming out of COVID. So that, you know, that I think that has been a key factor. And it's undoubtedly, you know, expectations for LVMH were very elevated. Um, and, you know, I think the shares were trading at a record level in, in eight, back in April. And, you know, it just creates a very hard... Um, hard thing for them to live up to then so you know they're not the results they announced weren't terrible but they're just they're not good enough to sustain the kind of valuation that they're, they're trading on at the moment no i mean it, it really has done incredibly well this year lvmh and and you're absolutely right i mean i just think that particularly when you look at um, the big miss, which is in its um, alcohol category, you know, things like uh, Hennessy Cognac, that's really fallen and champagne consumption has dropped. And I suppose for a lot of people that maybe would have pushed the boat out and bought a bottle of bubbly to celebrate things, they've gone with a much cheaper option because, first of all, there are more of those available, but second of all, they just can't afford those kind of little luxuries in the same way. Um, And that goes for the UK as well, of course, as Europe and the US. And we've had some clues to the UK economy by um, Page Group as well. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, Page Group is um, a a recruiter. Um, It is a global business, um, but it has, you know, it has a significant UK element to that business. And I guess there's sort of a few things. I mean, you know, it was a very downbeat um, update from the company. They were talking about annual profit being about a third below what it had been in the previous year. And that this, you know, they're only at the third quarter stage yet, but at this point, but you know, in terms of their guidance. Um, and I suppose that reflects the fact that when things are a bit more uncertain, people like to stick in the job they're in because they feel a bit more secure. They're not as minded to to look to to move on. And also employers are becoming, you know, less enthusiastic about hiring people at the same level and that's that's a very tricky backdrop for page to to deal with because it's you know it's going to be bringing lower revenues but also um, lower fees as well and that affects margins so it's and you saw that in some of the other um, recent announcements from recruitment companies as well so it's it's been a trend across the sector um, and it was interesting as well. There were some figures from the Recruitment and Employment Confederation, which revealed that British employers cut their job-based vacancies for the first time in two and a half years in September. And often the jobs market is a bit of a, of a lagged indicator for what's going on in the economy. So it, it speaks to the sort of pain in the economy that we're starting to see signs of, of a, you know, a kind of a slightly less buoyant jobs market. Um, right now and I, I know the IMF is fairly gloomy about the prospects for the UK economy as well isn't it Danny? Yeah it absolutely is um, expecting that next year the UK will have the slowest growth of any G7 economy. Uh, this year it's expected to beat out Germany but um, it, what they're saying is that interest rates will have to stay higher for longer. In fact, saying that they'll be um, around or above 5% up until 2028 in order to keep hold of inflation. And the UK is expected to have 
the highest inflation of any G7 country next year as well. Now, of course, all of this is not news that the Treasury wants to hear, and it's actually really being incredibly critical of the IMF. And I think it's fair to say that the IMF has not always covered itself in glory in terms of these forecasts. But what it said is, you know, we usually come in around 1.5% and that they have already taken in recent revisions to UK growth. They've up forecasts for this year. But when you think about it, we've just had the Labour Party conference. We had the Conservative Party conference last week. It is clear we are in election mode. We are heading towards a general election. And what the Treasury wants to say is, look, the economy is turning round. Inflation is falling. Interest rates, they're not going to stay high forever. We're going to get growth. And these numbers from the IMF suggest that they are just not going to get the kind of growth that other countries are going to see. Well, while we're focused on the UK, let's dive into our interview for this week. Um, Everyone has been waiting for a big revival in UK shares, but the market continues to languish on cheap valuations, probably because of some of the things we've just been talking about there. Dan Coatesworth recently met up with James Henderson, who manages the Lord Debenture Investment Trust, to get his thoughts on the state of the UK market and when we might expect more people to be interested in it. So, James, as we're recording this, the UK market is um, not exactly sort of racing ahead. So the FTSE 250 is down about 3% year to date. The FTSE 100 is up about 2%. What do you think it would take to get this market properly moving upwards? I think it's interest rates at the end. Um, we've got to get a feel for if this is, we're very close to the peak perhaps, but we've actually got to think how quickly they, they come back down. Um, and that will provide liquidity. There is a lot of despondency at the moment out there about the market. The UK's weighting and many international holders' funds is very low. The UK weighting actually in domestic investors' funds is very low. Um, and when things are on the floor, they don't usually fall through the floorboards. So, you know, and the market is on the floor and people are down at low percentage weightings. A little bit of enthusiasm about the UK. There won't be many sellers and there will be that little bit of marginal buying will have a positive effect. But we're not there yet in that interest rates are still, um, it's still not clear what speed they'll come down. Um, I find people having trouble reading the Bank of England, um, I think because the Bank of England's having trouble reading itself. Yes. Um, I don't think, I don't think they really know where they are. If you're, if you're, if you're, thinking is always dominated by the last load of numbers, you are going to keep flip-flopping around and you're going to be very difficult to read. There's no structure in their thinking. And therefore, um, we're, we're likely um, to be guessing about where interest rates are for a bit longer yet. Did you, I mean, I, there's been a suggestion that we really need more overseas investors buying UK shares to really move the market. They, they seem to sort of disappeared when we had the sort of the Brexit vote, I haven't really come back yet. But I mean, but yet that you know the UK stock, everyone knows UK stocks are cheap. So why aren't these sort of types of investors sort of loading up? Um, well, their own markets aren't very clever, uh, and where they are clever, you know, they've fallen in love with them. Um, you know, the Americans have enjoyed their own market. Um, what? Why come overseas when 
Apple and Amazon are ruling the world. Um, so there's an element of that. There's an element that the the UK has actually had overseas bias. It's really been the UK domestic um, institutions that have been selling down. You know, the the big funder funds are the are, are low in the UK. The big pension funds, big corporate pension funds, own so much of the UK market, and they're now at very low levels in the UK. Um, so I'd say it was more really the domestic um, buyer that hasn't that's disappeared of of late. You're sort of seeing that in fund flows uh, and um from domestic retail investors away from the uk so but those things all ch do change when interest rates when people got a feel for what interest rates are going to do and they they become self-fulfilling you know, it's been self-fulfilling on the way down the people look oh i've got 20% in the UK, he's only got 15, I better go to 14. And oh, the person <laughs> 15, and they, they, they spiral down, and they were just watching one another spiraling down, and they've got down to very low levels, three or 4%. Some of those um, big funder funds are at the UK that are meant to be, you know, serving UK investors. So um, and that can spiral up the other way. Oh, I think we better not let the UK be too low a percentage, because things are getting marginally might be getting better and we know it's very cheap we'll go to six percent well i don't be left behind we'll go to eight and it spirals the other way and there's a there's an element of that and when, but when you get down to the sort of levels you are now there isn't much more selling that can be done um and it'll be the domestic it's usually the domestic bar that that drives the market in the end yeah i mean if, if someone was looking um just trying to think okay maybe maybe now is a good time to sort of buy buy into the uk market but i mean what in your sort of opinion how would someone go about spotting the best opportunities perhaps with a sm smaller and mid-cap space yes i think it's got to be diversity things are in slowdowns you are surprised by how some companies have managed to manage their way through it and some companies get caught short and and, and fail so diversity is really important portfolio approach to it is important and if you get six or seven out of ten right you're doing well you know things will go wrong with you grow wrong in slowdowns in portfolios that's and that's why we i like to run with a relatively long list of stocks um you know even good people can get caught out when when their their customers get into trouble so it, it's important of diversity it's important to look at companies that are excellent at what they do and that's what gets you through a slowdown you've got to be excellent in your product excellent in your service and you get through slowdowns and it, yes you learn disciplines in slowdowns you learn about cost cutting you learn about tough management decisions you and you think what do you really do and add value in and those are the disciplines that when things get marginally better play well for you because you've got your costs under control you've got your disciplines there and suddenly you get a bit more of sales and you find your operating margin opens up because your costs are down and your sales line going up and the analysts never catch that the analysts never never on the upswing realize how um operationally geared companies can be into a bit better sales environment so those are the things to look forward to it's companies that are positioned to get through the next period and have got those disciplines in place to benefit from that upswing when it comes and there are there are many uk companies in many different sectors that are offering excellent products excellent services that are internationally competitive and that's what we must think about so I know that you've been sort of investing a bit more in ITV. Um, that's, I mean, that's had a pretty tough time on the stock market. A lot of people sort of think, okay, 
perhaps we're not watching as much sort of um sort of linear tv anymore advertising's been quite weak why are you sort of taking a contrarian view on that one well i think those are all real arguments but they've been real arguments for a while uh, and and it moves on people have to reinvent themselves and rethink what they're doing and um that's what's been happening at ITV. Also, the, the advertising next year could could be improving. And you, when you've rethought, you've got your con- costs under control, and then advertising picks up next year, Olympics and everything else. We we would we we might see a bit of top line growth in in revenue there on that control base. And we go back to what I was saying about being disciplined. And at the end of the day, we believe. ITV is a, a good company, a solid company. A little bit of little bit of help from the outside, yeah. and you will be surprised at the earnings. I noticed that you've got some sort of real classic British businesses in your portfolio. So names like Marks and Spencers, Rolls Royce, Tesco. I mean, it. I mean, it, it. It does show. You know, these these businesses are been around for a while. They continue to do. You know. To, to press ahead, try and grow those profits. I mean, obviously, Rolls Royce is is currently in a turnaround situation, but um, I mean, the, the, the investors seem to like, or certainly buying into the sort of the, the vision of the new chief executive. There, what, what is it about Rolls Royce that you particularly like at the moment? Uh, there's great technologies in there. There are amazing technologies. The the the, the development of the the, the aerospace engine is a lot. Lot is happening in Derby. And the next generation of planes will Rolls Royce will be a leader in there, um, and there will and there will be a lot of change over the coming years in in how we fly. And Rolls Royce will be one of the the companies leading the charge. Um, the the engine itself it's it's as good it's 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 it's, it's a duopoly. The 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 two big players and and the actual in and Rolls Royce is one of them. So if People talk about there's no technology in the UK. Well, it is our be- one of our best technology companies, really, Rolls-Royce. There's all the noise around it, all the difficulties of COVID, of mile, air miles not flown. Yeah, th- those, those, those will come and go over time. Um, but um, actually the core, the core technical skills in there are great. And now what we're seeing is, yeah, miles flown um, globally is going up again. As as COVID receded, and that means that the the engine, the 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 the, the workings of Rolls Royce um, are, are moving forward again. At the same time, the current management have faced up to a lot of the problems of the past and dealt and been de- dealing with them. And that so going back to that earlier thesis that in slowdowns people look hard at themselves, they think what they do well, and they then put in place the building blocks for a better time and that's what we're seeing at Rolls-Royce at the moment you know they, they really did look at themselves hard you know we've been getting this wrong they they said and they they've taken some real action some management change reduction of cost space and then air miles flown has gone up got a bit of that top line off you go um and at the same time they're in the medium term there is there is so much development to do um, in aerospace. The way moving away from fossil fuels, there's going to be so much. So in 2030, you'll still be flying in a Rolls Royce next generation plane. 
and that and and 20 years after that you'll be flying in a Rolls-Royce yeah. engine with a Rolls-Royce engine so it, you know it's 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 a great company yet sometimes we get fixated in the short term without looking at what at the qualities of the business and um it's just shifted a bit this year with people thinking through how the the um that those about those qualities about the return of profitability because air miles flown is going back up and there's a lot of is service um, of engines that make up the short term profits. Well, James Henderson, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Well, thanks. Good to talk to you, Daniel. Thank you very thanks. much. Dan, talking to James Henderson. Clearly, one of the issues for UK companies at the moment is concern about the spending power of consumers and increased borrowing costs are playing a huge part in that. And we had uh, an update from the Bank of England um, just yesterday, the bank's financial policy summary, taking a look at sort of the state of consumer health. And one of the things that it looked at was the number of homeowners now taking out 35-year mortgages, saying that around 12% of all new mortgages now have terms of at least 35 years. And when you look back to just two and a half years ago, that was only 4%. Now, Mm. we've been talking about the fact that clearly a lot of people who are coming off those ultra-low interest mortgages and having to go on to a new fixed rate are finding it incredibly hard to meet those payments. It is just so expensive. And one of the days which we've spoken about, Laura's spoken about, of dealing with that is potentially to extend the term. Now, that can obviously reduce your monthly repayments considerably, but it does mean that, first of all, the term is going to be longer. So, you know, you're not going to get that paid off in 20 years. It's going to be 35 or, or more. And you are going to have to pay more interest back to the bank. So it is going to cost you more in the long run. And one of the things which certainly flashes warning signs for me is if you think about now when people are buying houses, how long it takes to save up for a deposit. A lot of people, I think the average age is 31 now to buy a house. Mm. And if you think then you add 35 years on top of that, that is coming smack up to the age that most of us would like to retire. So it means you don't get that extra cushion of having maybe five years to pop that bit extra into your pension, or maybe you're still paying your mortgage when you first get to pensionable age. And I think that this is something of a time bomb really waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I guess another sort of angle to that is that people might be reducing contributions to pensions alongside that. And then you've got you know, in, in order to, so that creates even more of a problem potentially. So you're right. It is, you know, it might, it might not be an immediate problem, but it's certainly storing up problems down the line. And at the same time, we've got more people using credit cards or taking out loans just to make ends meet, to cover the costs associated with soaring inflation. And, and we've had some data out in the last couple of days looking at the retail sector. And although, The BRC says that sales were up in the month of September. Growth has slowed and people are spending on those necessary things. Most of the growth was in food. And, you know, when it comes to buying those little extras, people don't have the money. I mean, in some cases, I think it's clear that 
we are hyper aware that we're heading into the golden quarter. My kids have already started making lists of some of the things that they would like. And now they're teenagers. That is not cheap. But it's clear that we are having to think long and hard about what we're spending in retailers. Yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, like you said, that was reflected in the figures. Um, and I mean, even, you know, the weather hasn't been very helpful to the clothing retailers, I guess, um, with it being so unseasonably warm, you're not seeing the same level of sales. Of You know, usually when it gets to October, people start to feel a bit cold, realise they need a new winter coat, you know, and that benefits the, the high street chains that, that sell them. But the problem is, it's really warm. So they're not thinking about that. And those items tend to be a bit higher margin for those um, for those businesses because they're higher, you know, they're a higher price tag in the first place. Um, and there's also a risk they get caught out. They've got the wrong stuff, wrong stock on the shelves because, you know, it's 22 degrees. People are wearing T-shirts still <laughs> and they've got you know, shelves full of jumpers and heavy coats. So, so that's not been helpful. I mean, another, you know, thing is that, sales of things like electronic goods looking pretty sickly as well so that's not good news for companies like curries you know it's it's not a surprise is it you think about the number of pressure points that you've got on on uk consumers we just talked about mortgages you know um if they've got some credit card debt that's going to get more expensive there's just so many things that that are kind of piling up it's it's not hard to see why you know why they would would perhaps be keeping a very tight hold of the purse strings at the moment. And who'd be a supermarket in September? Because that's the time when supermarkets start to get their Christmas stuff out. I mean, I know the aisles of my local supermarket, yeah, they're full of sort of Halloween-y stuff, pumpkins, chocolate, that kind of thing. But there's a fair few Christmas things in there as well. And it is the time that a lot of people start to sort of squirrel things away for Christmas. But because we've had this warm weather, have you had a barbecue? Well, I, you need to remember, Danny, that I live in Glasgow, so <laughs> you've had warm weather, potentially. Um, yeah, certainly London has, but um, it's it's been mixed here. It hasn't. We 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 haven't had barbecue weather, put it that way. But but I know that other people will have done. Yeah, sure. we we did. We got the barbecue out at the weekend, and I'm only in Huddersfield, which is in the north of England, and it is incredibly unusual. Let me tell you, yes, for the Pennines yeah, yeah. to be mild in October. But we've seen a huge amount of things like ice cream, burgers and dips being sold, according to figures from Kantar, in September, rather than those, you know, boxes of uh, chocolates with the nice shiny wrappers. But one thing that did happen is that uh, spending on pubs and bars was up because of the Rugby World Cup. Because I think what we're finding is if people have an excuse to go and spend money, that is the time when they will go and spend money. But if they don't have that excuse, then they're going to try and keep hold of the purse strings, as you say. Yeah, 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 that's a really good point. No, it has it has been a reasonable time for hospitality. And there were some quite decent numbers from uh, Marston's that actually came out today as, sort of, as we're speaking. So, yes, the hospitality, I mean, you know, it's not all set fair. You know, there's obviously the issue of potentially more kind of industrial action in the rail sector that could could affect hospitality but out out of the kind of consumer facing um, sectors that's probably been the one that that's done best of late now before we sign off let's chat Birkenstocks do you own a pair have you ever owned a pair 
no, <laughs> I don't think I have. My mum and dad were hippies, so they may well have done um, back in the day. But no, I, I can't say that I have. But I know that they are becoming more trendy, right, Danny? Like they more... are becoming more trendy. Yeah, absolutely. Kate Moss uh, in yeah. the 90s actually was something of a fan. And I think the fashion world has gradually been converted. But for me that sort of final cherry on the top came when they featured in the Barbie movie this summer. <laughs> I mean, that was it. And now, of course, this German sandal maker is now about to um, launch on the New York Stock Exchange. So we've got the initial public offering with shares priced at $46 a share, which values the company at about $8.6 billion. And that's... Yeah more than double what it was worth three years ago. So I suppose a lot of investors are wondering, look, is this just the beginning of even bigger growth? Or yeah, I are mean, they set up for a fall? Looking, yeah, well, it's interesting because if, if they're looking for sort of perhaps a, a lookalike or, or something to to um, look at as an example of, of how this type of business has done in the past, then Doc Martens, which obviously listed in the UK about, two and a half years ago, roughly. Um, that's trading maybe a third, just a little bit over a third of its of the price at which it listed, um, even having had quite a strong start on the market. And it's, yeah, so it's basically been a bit of a disaster. And, it, you know, it's, there are similarities in the sense that it's a kind of an iconic footwear brand. They've made a lot of, you know, a lot of that is down to mistakes of their own making. They haven't, they haven't made life easy for themselves. But one area I wonder about for Birkenstock that, perhaps Doc Martens has had a problem going the other way is, you know, these footwear companies are looking to diversify because, you know, well, I mean, maybe you do this October, but you don't generally wear sandals in October because it's wet and cold. So Birkenstock is trying to expand into new areas like trainers and, you know, um, I think clogs they talk about. So that that's been quite a big area for them, but how successfully they can do that, you know, do, do people sort of see Birkenstock just as a kind of a sandal maker and they'll buy a pair of Birkenstock sandals, but they're not necessarily going to buy Birkenstock trainers or, or whatever. And Doc Martens has, has almost tried to go the other way. I, you know, they they introduce a line of products, I'm sure, that were kind of Doc Martens sandals so that people would wear their products in the summer. Um, and I think that that will be a key challenge for Birkenstock and might help determine whether or not, you know, they, they make a bit more of a success of things on the stock market than, than Doc Martin did. I do have a pair of Doc Martins. I bought my yes, first my one when I was 18, one. but uh, yeah, your daughter's so got it's one. still going strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's well, still there you going. Go. Yeah, it's still, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I think that's the thing, you know, it's not that Dr. Martins has become like a, a dodgy brand overnight or anything, but it has, it has struggled on the stock market. And so it'll be interesting to see if Birkenstock can do any better. Right. Thank you so much for joining us this week, Tom. Next week, we've got uh, Laura Souter in the hot seat with me and another Tom. Tom Selby will be here for our regular pensions corner. Don't forget, if you have any questions for Tom or any of the team, drop us an email, podcast at ajbell.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes. And the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply. 
and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.